All right. Hello. 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 This is Alex Smith and welcome to the Sell by Being Human podcast. You know, I started this podcast. This is formerly the Stories of Selling Human podcast. And, you know, I started it two plus years ago because, you know, I truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. And I always have said, you know, I, I believe everyone in the world will be someday faced with a situation that, you know, requires you to do it. Uh, we all want to be seen, heard, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince persuade or influence us are not just salespeople. There are great people throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. And this is really, in, you know, this is a, a great episode because of the first episode that we're going to be really kind of, uh, you know, kind of moving things over and, and kind of, um, you know, you'll see some new branding. The 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 uh, essence of the podcast still stays the same because, you know, we're going to be finding out, you know, what people that can sell and create these great human connections, how do they do it? And we're going to be asking people all these questions about it. So one of my guests today is from around uh, across the globe. She's in Australia. I, you know, I was taken with this. This person because, you know, yes, she has, you know, she's been in sales for, you know, over 20 years in corporate uh, brands such as Nielsen Media and American Express and Google Australia, Experian Australia. You know, she's had uh, numerous health setbacks, but, you know, all of these journeys really kind of led her you know, to kind of, you know, look within herself, look at mind-body solutions and, you know, a way to kind of really, you know, kind of tap into, you know, what made her really tick and, and just her emotional freedom techniques. So she'll talk about those. She created these techniques to, you know, kind of help salespeople thrive. Um, she's a keynote speaker and author and entrepreneur. And she, you know, she has come out with an, an awesome new book called The Respected Salesperson. I am so pleased to welcome none other than Arishma Singh to the podcast. Welcome, Arishma. Thank you. Namaste to everybody. How are you, Alex? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. And, you know, I love like watching you. Those of you that can't uh, see Arishma right now and just um, you're listening, maybe on a workout or something, she's smiling from ear to ear. And mm -hmm. um, this should be a great conversation. You know, what's great is uh, you know, like Arishma and I like share same beliefs about sales, about, you know, kind of, you know, in the past people think, oh, you know, it's kind of win at all costs and, you know, and, Oh, that person was salesy. They tried to change my mind to like what they wanted. And, um, you know, they just had this bad impression. And I think Arishma's out to really change that. She's definitely changing that through her book, The Respected Salesperson, and helping people. I mean, people that got up at this, you know, I've seen events that people get up and said after reading this book, it really made me rethink my perceptions about what sales is, that everyone does it. And, you know, the, what makes it important is that so much inner work has to be done. You have to really understand yourself really fully before you can fully understand someone else. And so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the book and kind of what her beliefs about sales are. But before we get into that, Arishma, I ask, I'm asking everyone now uh, about, you know, this new title. So I have this new title of the podcast, and I really think we can all like, you know, really be more introspective. So, you know, Arishma, in sales, we all sell, you know, by being certain things. So when I say to you, you know, what do you do it? Like, so if I said the term you sell by being, what do you sell by being? What What's the first thing that comes to mind? You sell by being what? 
when you think about that kind of a question? What what comes to mind first for you? <laughs> I definitely have to say human, Alex, and um, a genuine human, the one that is bringing their full self into the equation rather than half of it or hiding um, some bits of it because we're so afraid of how we're going to be judged. So your complete self. So talk to me about like, you know, like where you learn some of these things, because like, you know, the perception of sales is so easy to like get ingrained at you like in early in age. And, you know, maybe you've seen the image of, you know, the telemarketer or the person on the street trying to, you know, push some jewelry at you or something like that. And, you know, you, you, you can we can all like close our eyes right now and think of like what was the last experience where it just felt not genuine, the opposite of what you said, not your genuine full self. And it was just like, I'm just trying to get you to buy this thing, give me some money and move on. <laughs> Tell me, you know, a little bit about your life growing up in India and like where you started seeing maybe this perception of this different type of selling that you now talk about. Sure, sure. So um, I'm from Fiji Islands and uh, I'm okay. of Indian background. My father actually was a salesperson. He was a regional sales manager when I was a kid. And um, it was quite interesting because my mum was a primary school teacher and she always wanted him to get back into a teaching profession because she thought that's more respectable than being a sales manager, even though he earned better and he had more control over his time as well. So I, I just had an unconscious bias right from the beginning that... Sales is not something that um, families are proud of, but uh, something that is more accredited like a, a teaching profession or, or being a lawyer or a doctor was something that you should be inspired towards. So I never even thought about sales. And in Fiji, it's a very different environment. Nobody is a pushy salesperson. So I didn't associate that whole uh, idea about or sales is X, Y, Z because people are really honestly friendly and hospitable in Fiji. But in terms of my perception of sales, I didn't go about thinking, are people disgenuine or are they disrespectful? It's more, it happened when I started researching for this book. And I didn't really think about oh, the book title will become The Respected Salesperson. It came from a number of stories that uh, were shared by the people that are in sales, that are not in sales, and then deeper reflections of these individuals to actually find out how can they change the way the sales narrative is presented to the world today. I also looked at inter-teams as well, so what do other members in the team actually think of sales? So it was quite interesting to actually note that, and even um, at executive, executive levels as well, what are the execs actually thinking about salespeople? Are they corner-operated, you know, machines that can easily be brought in, learnt, just provide them some avenue to actually just learn some processes, technology and scripts, and there you go. Or are they thinking of investing in them over time because they see the value that this person actually brings in? So there's so many variety in terms of different people's opinions but the key part that came in the research was that it's the respect that's the missing ingredient. And sometimes we don't want to know that, that sales is not a respected profession. When we are asked, hey, um, what do you do? 
we don't just straight away say, I'm in sales. We sometimes tend to use a fancy title like account relationship or um, business development, something that is less salesy because people think that, oh, if I'm actually speaking to a salesperson, all of a sudden they will be liars or they'll say something that is going to influence me and I don't want to be influenced. Yeah. Can you think of like when you were doing some of these interviews, like what were, you know, some of the things that people told you about what people liked? Like why, why did people feel like that, that's that they respected that salesperson? You know, what were some of the things that people told you? I condensed it into 10 characteristics of a respected salesperson. So some of them are, I mean, and one that I want to differentiate here, one trait is being considered. So, Sometimes uh, if you're just shooting from your hip and not even thinking of the consequences, so you're not considered in that approach. And I used some interesting um, movie and uh, television characters to describe this. So think of Sherlock Holmes, very analytical. And you do find a lot of people out there that are analytical in mind when they're approaching sales because that's how they perceive the world. If we start treating all salespeople as the same, and think they all need to behave and act the same, then we're not bringing that human element. In comparison to considered is another word, which is considerate. And um, if you want to think about Mm. uh, Superman, Mm. for example, Superman is considerate of other people's well-being. So the words are so different, um, so similar, but the traits are very different. And then you think about, okay, there's a Wolf of Wall Street that is completely known quite quite well in the world of sales. But what is the characteristic that actually makes that persona very interesting is their utter belief and confidence in themselves. So that's what was actually attractive. But there are other, other aspects of that character that wasn't attractive. If you think about, oh, do, you, do I want to aspire to become that? And then there's other aspects as well, which is congruent. So... Are you actually who you say you are or are you someone that is trying to just present this picture? But reality is that your peers, um, the clients that you have already sold to, they start seeing a different side of you. So that congruence part needs to be there. So these are the traits that when I asked two people, like what did they actually like about their favorite salesperson? There were different traits that kept coming. So creativity is another because sometimes clients actually don't even know what they want. They want to understand what the creative solution could be to their problems. And if if we're just giving a cookie cutter kind of answers, then that that's not it. You're not really doing justice to your job. And sometimes you need compassion because there are issues that clients are facing that is quite you know heart-wrenching because they might appear in news for or get a fine from a regulator. There's there's actually a risk involved in actually not solving that problem. So there's a deep compassion and empathy that also needs to come across. But we sometimes feel that, oh, sales is not a compassionate job. That's the service-oriented roles. So they some people are really good at actually genuinely feeling that compassion. And when you are being yourself, and if you know that is your biggest strength, and you're selling from that aspect, then um, that's that's the place where you will shine. The other aspect is courage. So every time I've done my sales quiz, 
which I developed as part of this um, of this book, I come across um, uh, my my main trait is coming as charisma and courage, and that's Erin Bronkovich. So think about Erin Bronkovich. Would you actually think of her as a salesperson? Not really, but when you are seeing her influence, she has a conviction, and she's courageous, and she believes genuinely in in her principles. So there are certain times when you do need to bring out that courage in you to ask the difficult questions, which we we don't want to because we want to be known as, you know, the nice guy, the nice girl that everybody likes. That's not the point. It's it's not a place to be liked. It's a place to make a difference. And the only way you can make a difference is if you actually know every component of your personality and you're being true to your personality so that you allow the other person to be also honest. Otherwise, we're doing this dance of lie and deception. You will project and pretend and you're allowing the other party to project and pretend. So we're not helping each other. And that's where the equation has gone wrong. Man, you said a lot there that I like. You know, I, I think it's so true. A lot of people... You know, just kind of like they 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 have these limiting beliefs. They say that's for sales, or that's like you just said. You know, that's oh, the customer service department is compassionate. We're the ones who are pushing it forward and trying to get ink or trying to get the signature. When you know the like the greatest question. I mean, I, I love that you did that research to ask like what was the the characteristics and traits, or just a simple question like what did you like about your most favorite salespeople? And and people would think oh. Oh, they they knew a lot about the product and yes you know that's kind of base level stuff but like the really the the ones that are thriving the most uh, they're like what you're doing what you're saying like they're coming across the, with conviction and they also marry that with this like this like the self-awareness in themselves so they do enough work to really you know kind of be true to themselves you know in a way so that um you know others can be true like feel comfortable about being true around them they don't have to you know, they don't have to be fake around them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. There's a lot of people that listen to this that aren't, quote unquote, in sales. They don't have a quota. They don't have to make, you know, uh, a close, a, get a signature to do what they do every day. They're teachers, they're lawyers, doctors, maybe maybe parents. They're just stay at home parents. So what would you say to those people of like, yes, you know, I've heard you say things like we're all convincing people to eat our vegetables. But beyond that, like, you know, or like as a parent, you're convincing people to like eat their vegetables, you know, you know, go get get on get to school on time. But beyond mm -hmm. those things, like how would you describe those people as salespeople? What are they doing that people they, they may not even realize that they're doing that they're really effective at, but they don't even realize they're just doing it subconsciously? What would you say to those those people? Yeah, they they are basically are changing another person's mind. And that's what influence is all yeah. about. Looking at a particular area. So like, you know, your children, you you know they should eat vegetables, but you're trying to actually influence them to eat that, even if it actually doesn't taste good. But you have all of these areas and you know your child, so you're influencing them. Similarly, in a date, you know, if we're going on a date, we want to influence the other person to get to the next step, which is another date if we like them. Uh, same thing in a job. Um, there is a, a relationship and a way that we're assessing both parties. And uh, you're putting yourself 
out there. You're selling yourself. So we are selling some part of our being, whether it is an idea, um, whether it's a product, or whether it's actually a momentum. So you you want to make a difference somehow. And we all want to make a difference as human beings. And the way to make a difference is by influence, is through persuasion, is by actually helping the other person see another point of view. All of that requires a person to be authentic, genuine, human, because that's the only way we can connect to each other at that level. The minute we move away from being human and genuine, straight away, we have a, what I would just politely call a BS radar. So human beings may not call it out at that particular time that, oh, I don't believe you, but they're thinking it. So if we're not genuine, straight away, you've lost them. So what's the point? Yeah, I think you have to you have to sense that you have to sense. And I love how you say people won't tell you, but they'll be thinking it. And so you have to kind of observe if they're not asking questions or kind of short with their words, their body language. You have to have, be willing to ask that strong question. Hey, what I'm saying maybe isn't landing or you know what? I'm not sure if we're a great fit. I could be wrong, but you know, maybe you know, maybe this isn't something that's like I, I adding some value here or maybe there's there's, you know, a a concern or maybe there's something beyond the surface here that you're thinking that's not being asked. Am I am I crazy to assume that or is that something that you could tell me? Do you feel comfortable telling that to me because I want to make sure that, you know, all everything is addressed. I I like to someone on my team said the other day, is there a reason why you wouldn't move forward with us or is there any reasons any any anything at all that would would you know in your mind would would that you would think that make this not successful you know mm -hmm. or that you know you you wouldn't want to select us or something like that and and people will tell you if 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 asked but if not it's it's easier to to kind of hold back on these things you know i i am curious a lot of people i feel like go wrong because they they look at okay i have to change that person's mind and i'm not giving them a you know, I'm I'm presenting a compelling reason that to change their mind that I think is compelling, or I want to, you know, them to eat their vegetables because I think it's good for them, but they don't like it, you know? And and so, you know, people find it hard to find, okay, how can I make this compelling for that child to eat his vegetables? You know, what is that what is that thing that's going to like because they don't they they think they're gross, they they want, you know, sweets instead or like something else instead. You know, how do I make it so that that I'm like relating to them from their point of view? What things do you like to tell people or help people to, you know, to to be able to like deal with people um, mm -hmm. from that wavelength? Yes, yes. Uh, so in terms of uh, understanding the depth of someone's hesitation and objections, we need to understand not mm -hmm. just the conscious, but also subconscious and unconscious fears, because as humans, we do get triggered by quite a number of things. And if anyone has read the book, uh, you know, The Body Keeps the School, we understand there's a complex neural network in our body um, that sometimes makes us be afraid of something that is not rational. So <laughs> I'm going to just use the children example again. So if they're scared of vegetables because, oh, last time I ate it, it was a bit icky and um, I didn't like the taste. Well, just try and find out what is the taste that you actually do like, because there could be a solution to it. It's not that they you, you don't they don't want to eat vegetables; they just don't like the taste. You could actually influence the taste to suit them. 
similarly with the clients, yes, you can ask that question about, you know, why wouldn't they go ahead? But that might be useful for someone that has a direct personality and is comfortable being asked that question. So your language, your tonality, the the way you tune into your own emotions and the client's emotions is extremely important because cultural differences exist as well. So the way you might ask one person about their objections should differ to another person because you need to respect mm-hmm. their being mm-hmm. as well, their boundaries as well. And uh, what differentiates a good salesperson to a great salesperson is that they are highly attuned to their client. And the way they can do it is because they don't have any funny thing going on in their own mind. If I'm actually speaking to a client and in my head, there's this like thought going on as a mental chatter. Oh my God, is it going to do? What's my next pipeline? Or when is the next uh, meeting going to be? That means I am not there 100% present with that individual. And how can you make yourself completely present and attuned into your client? Everyone talks about, yeah, you know, develop great listening skills. But how do you really develop great listening skills? Are you actually listening to your own self? How much do you know about your inner thoughts, your inner dialogue? And if you work through those and don't have any own your own objections around that client and or reasons that mm, maybe the price is too expensive or maybe the product's not right, maybe the competitor has higher things. If you don't have your own objections, you can very clearly understand what is the client wanting and you can ask the questions that are meaningful rather than just surfing around the surface and and thinking and projecting ideas that they will or will not. Hmm. Tell me, like, what are some, like, you know, just easy ways, simple ways that people can begin working on themselves? Because, like, people look at that and, you know, that's a broad thing, you know, okay, doing that inner emotional work and people think, okay, do I need to get a therapist? Do I need to, you know, like, that's, like, that's really, like, intimidating for people to, like, want to look inward and, um, how how do you advise people on getting started and yes. you know how do you advise people on using those things in a sales dynamic um Certainly. those those yeah. inner uh, emotional things absolutely so while i was writing the book i want I was very mindful of that a sales people get bored very quickly so we want to make sure that there's something that is interactive and fun so that's why the sales quiz was uh, created as part of the book and um, it's an awareness to start in a fun way, understanding, hey, what kind of sales persona am I? And what could be the other types of personas that are out there? What are my strengths that I should play with? And what are the areas that maybe I can develop with? So that's the first step, which is just self-awareness. Then the self-acceptance, exploration, and um, you know, just getting everything out on the table, whether, whether you like it or not, or your, I guess, dirty laundry that needs to be worked through privately so what i've also developed as part of the book is a free app which is um goes through a series of modules and it gives the user first of all just the if you think about from maslow's hierarchy of needs just understanding like the base physiological need and emotional needs and intellectual needs, etc. So you're working through all of those to actually see your blind spots and the areas that you need to grow in. There's exercises to excavate your your thoughts and habits, etc. 
Um, I've developed the Thrive methodology as well, which has in the book, there's so many exercises that you can actually complete to start understanding yourself, which is the first step. And then within the book, I've also actually included a very scientific-based technique, which is called Emotional Freedom Techniques. And it's the fastest way of actually reducing your stress, um, going through your limiting beliefs, changing your habits, finding out the reasons that you're and excuses you're making for performance, kind of using it to also improve your sense of personal branding by looking at your intuition level, your instincts, the imprints that you've actually gained from the society, the value systems, and then, and finally, emotions and energy as well. How are you actually presenting yourself to the world? So there is a method that I have created so that people can take one at a time and go through that. And there's two different free solutions in there that they, they can just utilize and work on themselves. Of course, those that want to go deeper and um, they need help, then they can consult me. But I'm not the only person. They can even use that information and go out to somebody else that is a certified practitioner in EFT and they can work through that. EFT is not also the only modality. If somebody loves doing meditation, for example, or journaling or visualization, whatever suits them, there's a number of modalities out there in the world which helps people gain self-reflection. And that's the key part here, self-reflection and change comes from inner work. Hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm thinking that like something had to trigger you maybe early on in your career to be interested in, in this work. Like what, you know, was there like events in your life or things in your career that, you know, I know you asked me before this, like, why, why'd you start the podcast? Why, why did you get into this work? If I can ask you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was very much, um, known to be a high performer right from the time I was a kid. So even at age three, I asked my parents um, to get me into school and they changed my date of birth to get me into school. My mother was a primary school teacher. She's retired now. And uh, Indian parents in general have put quite a lot of expectations on their children. Um, think, just imagine <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> children of uh, teachers, there's, those expectations are on steroids. That's how I explain yes. it. So she wanted okay. me to okay. <laughs> she wanted me to be an all-rounder. You, you know, I needed to be top in class. I needed to be the ducks of my primary school and high school. Like she had all laid out. And I think right from the beginning, I, I wanted to please her. Like most kids do, they, they want to please their children. So I formed uh, unconsciously a, a thought in my head that the only way to seek love is by proving yourself and, uh, you know, working really hard. And I'm very good at working hard. So think about children. I'd wake up at four o'clock and start studying and go to school at seven. Uh, and I had a timetable. And uh, even on the weekends I was studying. And, and then also during holidays, I'd prepare for a year ahead. So that's the kind of student I was. And I was very proud of myself. So I had this DNA kind of built in me, which was all about high performance. And I took it with that whole concept with me to Australia. And I have done well in every single area of my life when when it comes to what you would name as success. So that's the success definition that we start thinking like, oh, corporate success, um, academic success. 
But the place where I was not doing very well was my internal self, the whole relationship that I had with myself. And I was ignoring it. Uh, Australia has a, a culture also of work hard and play hard and party hard. So I took that um, cultural aspect quite deep into myself as well. And um, all of a sudden in my 20s, I just one day was in so much excruciating pain without knowing what happened. Um, I was taken into intensive care unit. And in that time, I there was a lot of investigations being done. The pain was so much that I was put through opioids, um, like morphine and other types of um, medication that my body became addicted addicted to because I was put under what's called nil by mouth, which means no no food and uh, no uh, water. You're basically are just hydrated through a tube. And that went for quite a bit of time. I was hospitalized for a long period of time because nobody knew what was happening. And it was diagnosed as pancreatitis. I mean, and what happened after the incident was um, I developed that addiction but I also had some repressed memories that actually started surfacing up which um, also got quite intertwined and confused so I started hallucinating I was having a proper mental health breakdown and um, we're very lucky here in Australia so um, there's something called the mental um, health New South Wales plan which means that you get a series of um, free service with psychologists around your mental health. And by the way, prior to that, I'd never thought about using a psychologist because in my culture, you don't talk about your feelings. You just do things. And the whole idea of like getting <laughs> therapist help was like not really appreciated. Uh, it's, it's shameful in some ways. So I was quite confused, but I did take part in that whole service because I thought that I'm desperate. I need something. And in, during that time is when I, one of the psychologists actually started doing this weird thing, which was telling me to actually tap on my particular acupressure points. And mm -hmm. I did recall at that moment that, ah, she's doing, uh, telling me to do something which my father would ask me to do if I was ever sick. So in Indian culture, we know the concept of nadis, prana, energetic. You know, there's quite a, an array of Eastern wisdom that, uh, my family had utilized to make sure that your your vibrations change. So, but what she was doing was actually utilizing some statements and asking me questions while asking me to tap on my body. And I had instant reactions to it. I was yawning and burping and there was like um, uh, tears coming out of my eyes. So something was changing very, very quickly. And I was quite surprised by that. So that was my introduction to EFT. Now, I'm just going to fast forward very quickly because in the last, I would say, 10 years, I have gone into hospital about 12 to 13 times. That's the episodes. Mm -hmm. And some of them have been life-threatening. Um, so about three times I pretty much was considered about to die. And, and the other times they have not been as high. So through many years of this journey, I um, have finally found out that I have a genetic condition for which I'm on a trial right now. But what really happened as far as sales is concerned, my patterns were the same. I would, I'd get sick, 
I would be away from work for uh, a few months, but then I come back and I did what I knew best, which was just strive, strive harder, work harder, work longer hours. And, uh, and because I needed to actually, you know, fly that emblem of, uh, you know, success. And uh, it was not helping me at all until the last episode that I had during COVID, just when everyone was shutting down for COVID, I had that final life-threatening time as well. Um, prior to that, I had developed a, what's called a um, uh, an autoimmune condition where I was feeling this um, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. pain in my nerves and I couldn't even touch the ground. And to work on that, I got some medication. And then the next thing I know is I'm back at work and going to a, a large international bank uh, with my manager and working through a deal. And in the middle of it, I've just completely forgotten why I'm there, what I'm doing, who's who. And I had to pretend and I laughed and I acted like I, I knew what was happening. And when I went home, I, I was just broken. Uh, all I had was, you know, this tenacity to work hard. Now, what do I do if my brain's not working? So something had to give. And um, since I'd already known about EFT and had been doing it and applying it in other areas of my life, I decided to use it purposefully and start looking at all of the sales cycle. So right from, you know, doing research on clients, prospecting, um, calling and presenting, negotiating, every single aspect of my job, I compartmentalized it and I started digging deeper into what is it that's stopping me from going, why is my brain not cooperating with me? And that's how the Thrive methodology actually developed. So, and uh, once I started using it and started seeing these amazing successes, my whole well-being started changing. So, so I got in very passionate about this and people started asking me like, hey, how do you do this? Uh, you know, you have all of these issues, but you're vibrant and you're happy and you know, you're so, just something has changed in you because I I was angry in my 20s. I was very angry. But now I'm like, yeah, I have a life-threatening condition, but that does not actually change anything about how I can relate to other people. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself and I'm not going to actually deter that from performing. I want to achieve sustainable success without compromising my well-being. That was my mission. And then um, I decided that I'm going to take it further, utilize what I've learned, and then check in the market by interviewing people to understand. And the book is actually a whole composition of the entire entire journey that I've had over the last 15 years. Wow. It's an amazing story. I mean, I think, um, like, it just makes me think, like, what do you view success as now? Like, you know, like, what what's different from how you viewed success in your 20s than how you view success now? Sure. Uh, success to me previously was a number or an accolade or a trophy or some kind of achievement. So it's very tangible. Um, it's almost like, you know, look at me, how great am I? So that's that was what success meant, and I needed to be like on on the on top of that like leaderboard, no matter what. Success to me now is having this feeling inside that I have done my very best, not just for myself, but also for other people around me. So they could be my peers, could be my manager, um, third parties, my clients. 
and also my family. So it's it's actually taking the entire human equation in where you want to be a better person and you can only sustain success by being completely true to your you know north compass and uh, i feel that it just is infectious because if i'm actually sharing everything every single bit of of what my you know methods are and techniques are and knowledge is and experiences and i i mentor a lot of sales people I am learning from them they're learning from me but then also I've got this now network of supporters that all are out there championing what I'm trying to achieve so you know sales you don't actually win it just by yourself you have to actually leverage on a number of people support so previously success meant was just me like a lone wolf that was my fault I did not know how to ask for support or ask for help because I just wanted to do it all by myself and drain myself out Whilst now, um, it's sustainable because I'm looking at, at the bigger picture, and um, it's not just about okay, you're the trusted advisor, and there's sometimes these words become very hollow because you you're not really embodying it. You're pretending to do it because um, it's not that I wasn't appreciated for all I did in, in the past, but something internally has changed in me, and the feelings are changed. So. You talk a lot about being human. A spectrum of emo- spectrum of emotions in a human is quite varied and large. So I'm getting to feel quite a lot of self-satisfaction that is coming from I would say, you know, a deep place, not just superficial. That's great. I mean, your story is so amazing. I I feel like you're you've definitely like when I hear you talk, you're very much tuned in to the world around you into yourself to other people you 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 kind of make time for the person in front of you and you really are genuinely you and you're you're not putting on a you know a facade and um you know I, I feel like that helps people open up to you i mean i feel like maybe maybe people give you feedback arishma you're very you know, comfortable to be around. I enjoy spending time with you because when you are truly, you know, I like what you said about being your best, not just for yourself, but like if you make it a point to try to be your best for others, you know, that your actions start to change because now success is, well, how can I be the best for everyone around me? You know, and that might not benefit me right now in in a tangible way. But maybe I don't I, I don't need it to as long as I'm benefiting other people in the best possible way that will eventually shine through. And that will that, you know, that that, you know, that that's going to be what I stand for. And, and um, you know, the benefits could come back to me or not, but I won't be controlled about what I need to receive. And if I don't receive it, then I'm mm-hmm. a failure if I don't receive that that award or something like that. Right. Yeah, and I I want to clarify here something. So by no means I'm an idealistic human being. I have all of my flaws, and I actually believe that by showing that vulnerable side of you is also powerful. So some people relate to me with my you know the warmth and cuddliness type of uh, uh, I guess aura that I present. But then there's others that actually can see the teacher in me who is very direct and to the point, very courageous, asking quite challenging questions, which does 
impact them and influence them because uh, it is quite out there. So I have a number of different types of personality traits, which I have now fully owned. And I like the fact that, okay, there are some parts of me that are my shadow side. And uh, when, if there are some times when there's a heated conversation because you're feeling really passionate and I am a passionate human being, um, I do explain why am I raising my voice and why am I really asking these questions because I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. So people are getting to see the real me and they're responding in a real manner. And those that actually also have a problem with me, they're able to come and tell me I have I have a problem with you or they're telling somebody that they feel comfortable with. But I get that message. It's no longer, I'm no longer in a place where I'm completely blinded. Um, so mm, I'm not afraid yeah. to actually challenge myself or challenge the other person because in the past I wanted to be that nice girl, be that person that everybody loved. I don't need to be loved anymore. I love myself enough. And that is the thing. If salespeople are actually going out there and their unconscious motivation is to actually seek recognition from external forces, then their behavior will reflect that. But if they are completely congruent and happy um, and satisfied with who they are and they know that every day is a day to actually self-reflect and change and improve yourself, then they will be authentic and it will be reciprocated. So um, I feel like that it's not like, you know, some human being is actually like, I'm not a saint. So obviously I have a lot to learn and lot to work through myself. But what I'm bringing today is my authentic self, all of me, rather than a pretentious person that is trying to get something out of you. Hmm. Very well said. I couldn't say it any better, Arishma. I loved what you said. You know, you you love yourself enough. You know, so that that's you know what it's t it's tough for people to to kind of like sit back and actually like you know kind of reflect on that. What am I doing to love myself enough? But you know, it is true. Like if people, I, I find that you know if if you kind of come across that way, people are comfortable telling you direct feedback. They don't they don't fear how you're going to react towards them. So then they may be held back and they don't tell you things because they don't know how you're going to take it. They don't know how you know emotional you're going to get or if you're going to get angry. You know you're nodding your head because I think like if you come across that way, people know. Okay, yes, Arishma is direct and she can also be. She can also be very, you know, warm and approachable. She can be, you know, she can be very driven and she can be very focused on, you know, the task at hand and very goal oriented, but she can also do it in a way that is empathetic and connects and all that. It's not one or the other. It's not like you have to only be goal oriented and wanting to be like the, the number one. Cause I mean, you know, you don't get anywhere in life unless you kind of, you know, hold yourself to high standards and you, you know, push yourself to, to do to be the best at whatever you want to do so that's a very noble thing to do to be the best but and you can also do it in a way that you know connects you to others so it is also about being the best for others being the best for yourself and being the best for others those things aren't you know mutually exclusive they can they can exist together and 
That's what mm-hmm. I, I, I've learned from you kind of hearing you speak. You know, Arishma, we're kind of ending off. I could talk to you for so long. I feel like we're going to know each other after this, but I do want to ask you a fun question yeah. about yourself because I think, you know, we all have this unique story about us. And I think sell by being human means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you've kind of told us about that today. But this is just a fun question about you. If I asked you, Arishma, you know, your people closest to you, your family, friends, something just as, you know, unique that only you do. Maybe it's a, a story, maybe it's a quirk. What is something that is just so totally you that would be only something that Arishma would do? What would what would your friends and family tell me would be that thing that is just so uh, you? Yes, it's, a, it's something to do with um, chilies, actually. I, um, I carry fresh chilies in my bag everywhere I go, even if so just imagine if you're going for breakfast, all my friends, are, or even clients now, if they if I'm uh, socializing and even if it's a sandwich or breakfast, I take my chili and I start, you know, eating fresh chili with whatever food I'm actually having. So my husband or any of my <laughs> friends, they know that, uh, yeah, of course, the Rishma is going to be the one that brings out the chili and everybody starts asking like, oh, are you going to eat chili with that? It always is a conversation. People are fascinated by that. Why are you eating chili? Um, is it isn't it too hot? I can't do it. And everybody starts. Oh, I can't. There are people that actually want to eat some spice, and some that actually don't. They can't even imagine it. This, it becomes a topic of conversation. I've had chefs that actually have come out of their restaurants and said, "Why why are you eating chili? Um, is, is something missing in my food? No, <laughs> no, I just." Love chili and my mother-in-law as well. When I first came to Adelaide, she was like, "Why? Why is she eating chili?" So chili is always something that actually comes up when I'm meeting new people and the people that know me. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." She's just bringing her chilies out from her bag. That's hilarious. That that is that is the first after a hundred plus episodes. No one. <laughs> that I talked to has, has told me that. And I love that story about you. That's great. Well, you bring the spice to, to sales yeah. and the spice to any anything you're eating, uh, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Arishma, it's been a, a true pleasure. You know, uh, where can people connect with you, talk more about sales, talk more about themselves, maybe even their, you know, chili preference? Where, where can people find you? <laughs> um, my website is my name, arishma.com. Of course, the book is on Amazon. So if they are interested in learning more about the entire journey as well as exercises, they can do that. And within the book, there's free things that they can utilize. So whatever they prefer. Awesome. Well, before you go, I, I, I meant to ask you at the beginning, tell me what your name means, Arishma. What is the, <laughs> the, the story behind your name? I always, uh, I always thought that like, oh, it would be so nice if my name meant something in Hindi. <laughs> It doesn't actually have any significance from the language, <laughs> but the significance is that the first uh, part of my name, Ar, is coming from my father's name, Arvin, and Ishma is coming from my mother's name, Jyotishma. So it's Arishma. It's a combination of both words, and it sounds beautiful. So I just pretend that, you know, my parents loved me more. That's why I have a combination of their names. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, well, Arishma, we will, uh, you know, we will go with that. Um, I, you know, I'm sure P- the listeners will love you uh, just as much. So thank you so thank much you. for jumping on today. And um, I'm looking forward to knowing you uh, far past this. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This is fun. 
It was a pleasure as well. Thank you so much. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.